0: Well, let's turn while you remain standing in the Word of God, Mark chapter 11, Gospel of Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 26. Mark 11, verses 12 through 26. Hear now the Word of God. On the following day, when they came from Bethany... He, that is Jesus, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, your trespasses let's pray father in heaven we ask lord that you would teach and instruct us in your word we pray father that uh, we would not rebel against it but that we would hear and be submissive to it and may your word change us for we ask this in jesus name amen you may be seated Well, Mark began uh, this uh, gospel record by telling us that Jesus came and was teaching about the gospel of the kingdom, called people to repentance and to faith. But Mark also is emphasizing for us that Jesus has come as God's great servant king. Jesus, we saw recently, had said, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Jesus has come as God's suffering servant, but also God's servant king. And here in the passage that we just read, Mark, I think, is impressing on us that Jesus is not some weak servant, he is king. He doesn't turn a blind eye toward wickedness, toward hypocrisy. Yes, he is God's suffering servant, but he is the servant king. And so we have these uh, two in, uh, instances, incidents, in the Word of God in Mark chapter 11 the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. And interestingly, Mark intertwines these. Probably, uh, this isn't chronological. I think here, Mark, and sometimes other writers as well, uh, they depart from a purely chronological report in order to make a theological point. I think chronologically Matthew is probably probably has it his report is chronological in Matthew chapter 21 but here I think Mark is making a an important theological point and so he takes these two historical uh incidents, they, they happened, and he weaves them together so that you have the, the cursing of the fig tree, then you have the cleansing of the temple, and then it goes back to a discussion about the fig tree. This is intentional. Mark wants us to see a, a symmetry of purpose in Jesus' actions. And I think it is this and this is what i want to focus on today that jesus sees who we are on the inside and won't and does not accept a purely outward religion a purely outward religion is not acceptable. The fig tree promised much, but yielded nothing. The temple promised much. But while the people of God people honored God with their lips, their hearts were far from him. And Jesus, in both cases, announces God's judgment. On barren, empty, religion. So I'm laying it out here at the very beginning. I think this is what's happening in this passage, and uh, so let's uh, let's dig in and look. First of all, this uh, the first instance with Jesus and the fig tree, verses twelve through fourteen. Uh, Jesus is hungry. And he comes across the fig tree. He sees from a distance that it looks healthy. Uh, It's got leaves. But as he comes closer, there's no figs. And in fact, Mark tells us it was not even fig season. So why does Jesus curse the fig tree? May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Well, we can certainly answer it this way and say it isn't because Jesus is just being callous, spiteful in his anger. There are some who have rejected Christianity, and they even point to this passage, saying, "I can't, I can't worship a spiteful, angry Jesus." But. I- I don't believe at all that this was a spiteful, angry, calloused response of Jesus to the fig tree. I think it is something very different. And to help us to understand that, it's it's helpful to know the Old Testament. And there is Old Testament background that's important for us. Several of the prophets in the Old Testament often used a fig tree as a symbol of God's people, of Israel. Jeremiah 5, for example. Jeremiah does that. In Hosea, Hosea does it in a number of places. In Hosea chapter 2. In Hosea chapter 9, verses 10 and, and verse 16. Where God's prophets speak of Israel as God's fig tree. And I think that's important that we see that, that background. And here now, Jesus comes to this fig tree... It looked to be fruitful. It, it had leaves. It seemed to be healthy. But upon closer inspection, there was nothing but leaves. There was no fruit. It had the pretense of fruit, but upon close inspection showed the absence of it. And I think Jesus then... Cursing this fig tree, saying, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. It was a picture, an object lesson, which Jesus was known to do. Take object lessons, take that which he sees around him, and then speak a parable or or use that as illustration. He, He used object lessons because he was a consummate teacher, And this was an object lesson of God's judgment on faithless Israel. They were those that God had made his own. They were his people. God set them apart. And Jesus said to the fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Later, we're going to see, uh, all in verse 21, Peter, when they walked past the fig tree and saw that it was withered, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Cursed is an important word. It's it's actually quite a covenant word, curse. It's the opposite of blessing. When you think about Moses, he's speaking to Israel in, in, in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 and uh, he's talking about when they come into the land and and there is promised blessings in in moses's sermon to the people there if you remain faithful to the lord all of these blessings will be yours Blessings in your homes, blessings in your, in your fields. All of these blessings will be yours if you remain faithful to the Lord. But then Moses went on and says, but if you are faithless and you turn away from the Lord, all of these curses will be yours. Curses in your homes, curses in your fields. Curse is a very covenant word. And this applies, of course, to the nation-state of Israel. But in that nation-state of Israel was God's church. And Paul, of course, teaches us in Romans that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are grafted in to that church, to that true Israel. We are grafted in. So what is it that Jesus is cursing? A religion that appears to offer much, but which, on divine inspection, is found to be empty and barren. Jesus saw this too. When we read in Revelation chapter three, you know Revelation two and three, Jesus is speaking to the seven churches. In Revelation, to the church in Sardis, he says, "You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The outward, it looks like you're alive. It looks like you're you're healthy. It looks like you're well, but you are dead." To the church in Laodicea, he said this, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, what Jesus is speaking about is a religion that appears to offer much, but on his divine inspection is empty and barren. And so, what does Jesus see when he looks at our church? What does he see when he looks at Corum Deo? What does he see? Nothing but leaves? What does he see when he's looking at your life, when he looks at my life? Because he can see and inspect like no one else. He is the omniscient one. What does he see when he searches our hearts? Does he see the pretense of faith? An outward religion that's Covering over cold hearts—is that what he sees? This passage speaks to us as warning, or does he does he see a desire in us to walk in his ways, to follow him? Does he see that? I hope and pray that he does. Does he see a people who love one another? And who love God. I hope that's what he sees when he looks at us. Does he see a people who are truly humbled by their sin? And sorrowful for their sin. But who are leaning on and, 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 and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because he sees past the pretense. That's important for us to understand. He sees past the pretense of things. And he inspects the heart. Colossians 3 that we read earlier, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Do you? Christ sees past the pretense. And Jesus explains this, verses 20 through uh, 26. So I'm Skipping over for a moment the the cleansing of the temple, verses 15 and 19. And they come back. As they pass by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away from its roots. And Peter says, Lord, look at this. (laughs) The fig tree's withered. The tree that you cursed. And what is, how does Jesus explain this? It's interesting, isn't it? He, he, He says, have faith in God. I think there's a number of things Jesus is, is pointing out there. One of the things he, he is saying is it's because I have come to do the will of God that I have authority to curse effectively this tree. I have come to do the will of my Father in heaven. And Jesus is teaching, in one sense, the source of his authority. I'm able to curse this fig tree, Peter. It might be surprising to you because I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. God is the source of my authority. And so he says, have faith in God. And then Jesus goes on and speaks about prayer because the keynote to prayer is that our faith in God is joins us to the power of God. And Jesus is pointing and highlighting that power of God. Now, we can't just pull this passage. It it, it, it seems to lend itself, doesn't it? To just pull it out of everything and to uh, to say that, you know, if, if we really believe something, we can have a mountain be cast into the sea. We can do anything. What, anything that we want to do as long as we believe it. But that's not what Jesus is saying. And that's grabbing that passage out of, out of context. What Jesus here is saying is, when we pray in accord with the will of God, God again, who is the source of power, when we pray in accord with the will of God, God will answer that prayer. Jesus was able to curse the fig tree because that was the Father's will, that that fig tree be withered. And if the Father's will is to cast a mountain into the sea, then pray without doubting. If you know it to be God's will, then God's will, God will accomplish it. If you know it to be God's will, God will accomplish it. It was William Carey who said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. And we, may, we may think some request is so huge, but Lord, if it's your will, you will do it. That's where we have to be doesn't matter how huge the request is. Lord, if it's your will, you will do it. Have faith in God. Jesus also points out that prayer is it's more than just personal. There, it's, there's a communal aspect to prayer. Prayer is a family matter. Um, therefore, Jesus says, And so he's drawing a conclusion to these things. Verse 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespass. So believe means have faith. God is the sovereign one, but also forgive. When we pray, we never pray merely as an individual. We pray as part of a family, part of a body. And as such, it's very important that we forgive and are forgiving to others. Jesus, of course, taught this a number of places elsewhere, uh, particularly in Matthew chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount, but elsewhere also. We read this in Colossians chapter 3 to uh, forgive. You see, it's the essence of self-deception to think that we can pray to the Father when you're embittered and at enmity with one of the Father's children. It's self-deception. A truly forgiven man or woman will be a forgiving man or woman. Because that really shows what's in your heart. Are you able to forgive? And Jesus is concerned not just about outward religion, but what's going on in your heart. Well, let's uh, look then at verse 15 and following Jesus cleansing the temple. You know, it's interesting. Jesus' public ministry is bookended, if you will, or enveloped, if you will, by temple cleansing. In John chapter 2, uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he entered the temple and he cleansed it. And now, in Mark uh, chapter 11, at near the close of his ministry, he enters the temple and he cleanses it. The temple had uh, four main sections or parts to it. The outer court was the court of the Gentiles. And that was the largest area, actually. Uh, the most square footage <laughs> of the temple was uh, the, that part, the outer courtyard. And then there was the court, within that, the court of women. And then there was a court of Jews, and then there was the Holy of Holies. Those are the four main parts to the makeup of uh, the the temple in Jerusalem. But what's interesting here is that the, and and the point, I think, that uh, is so closely tied to what Jesus is saying in this passage, is that the design of the temple included a place for Gentiles. That is interesting in and of itself. Uh, God had told Abraham that uh, through his seed shall all the nations be blessed. And the temple then pictured that and anticipated that. There was a place for Gentiles to come and and to worship. Now, sadly, the Jews at that time actually hoped that the Messiah would cleanse the temple of Gentiles. That was the sad reality. Well, this is uh, the time uh, where the Passover was happening, the celebration of the Passover meant that Jews would come to Jerusalem from all over. They would be traveling, sometimes great distances, sometimes from other countries, and they would be traveling to uh, Jerusalem in order to join in that great celebration of the Passover. And when they arrived to Jerusalem, many of them needed then to purchase uh, animals for sacrifice, sheep particularly, but other animals as well for uh, to, for their Passover sacrifices. And those particularly who came from foreign countries had to exchange their currency in order to be able to buy the animals. And... So what the, the Sanhedrin, the religious leadership of that day, decided was this is a great revenue maker for us. And so they used the court of the Gentiles to set up their booths, to set up their, their pens of animals, and, uh, and then they, they charged exorbitant amounts, and it became a, high, a huge source of revenue. They turned the court of the Gentiles into a stockyard for commercial purposes. So Jesus comes in and he cleanses it and he he quotes uh, two important passages that will help us, I think, understand precisely what Jesus is doing. One of them, of course, is Isaiah 56, verse 7, which says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples or for all nations. Where the temple was to, be, was to be looking forward to that day when the church would be more than just the nation state of Israel, but a haven for all people, tribes, nations, languages. And here they are desecrating that place that was set aside for Gentile converts to worship. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Then Jesus says, you have made it a den of robbers. And there he's quoting from Jeremiah 7, which is a a very interesting passage. I can't read all of it, but I'm going to read a little bit of it. In Jeremiah 7, verse 11, it says this, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I have seen it, said the Lord. So God himself, who had had instituted the temple sacrifices and the temple rituals, the the, the temple worship, was still looking beyond those sacrifices and rituals into the heart of the people. In Jeremiah chapter 7, the people were trusting in their outward religion. That, That passage begins... This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. They're just saying, we're in the temple of the Lord, and so therefore, it all must be well. We're doing the the things that God has told us to do, the, 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 the ceremonies, the sacrifices. And then God says in verses 9 of Jeremiah 7, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all of these abominations? You see, what God is is saying here is precisely what he said through David. Where you do not desire the sacrifices of bulls and rams, else I would bring it, but a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. See, and so all throughout the Old Testament, even though God did require these outward uh, 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 ceremonies and sacrifices and rituals and all of that, It was always true that the, 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 the heart of religion is what's internal, the, the, what's in the heart. And Jesus, fulfilling the Lord shall suddenly come to his temple. And Malachi 3 comes and he sees the wickedness of his church, in his church and he cleanses i think what is happening here is the same thing of the cursing of the fig tree jesus is it's prophetic symbolism when he cleanses the temple he is saying your time is up your days over this is done And, of course, soon, very soon, the temple would be, would be destroyed, like the fig tree. So let me just come back and just say what I think these two incidents which Mark intertwines together is teaching us. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And I don't want us, as members of Coram Deo Reformation Church, to be cold, ritualistic, going through the motions. Even though we do have an order of worship there's reasons for that. But do you come here? Do you love the Lord? Are you in wonder and awe of his great love for you and of the gospel that he came to take away your sins and to reconcile you to himself for all eternity? Is there a wowness? <laughs> In you. It's like, whoa, you have brought me out of darkness into your marvelous light. How can I not praise you? How can I not worship you? See, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And he looks past the ritual and sees our hearts. He sees our hearts. And hearts that are united to him will bear fruit to his glory. Is Jesus enthroned, when he looks at your heart, does he see Jesus enthroned as Lord and Savior? Enthroned as Lord and Savior. He is God's servant, king. He is God's servant, king. Amen. Lord in heaven, we are humbled before you because we know, Lord, that we can't hide anything from you. And, uh, Lord, we pray that, like with the psalmist, you would search our hearts See if there be any wicked way in us and cleanse us. Change us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit that we would walk in your ways. Be authentic followers of you. Oh, Lord, help and strengthen us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.